Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to Sandals Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Super excited. I'm in our new studio. So thank you so much for everybody that's giving and has remained so faithful during these difficult times. We're in a series in the book of Romans and it's called When in Rome. And many of you have heard this saying, you know, when in Rome, do as Romans do. The problem is for us as Christians, we're not supposed to live as Romans. We're supposed to live like Christ. And right now in our culture, we don't live in ancient Rome. We live in a current modern culture that has developed a cancel culture. And I wanna talk to you about how to survive a cancel culture. How to survive a cancel culture. I didn't mean to uh, cut him off quite that harsh. Sorry about that. Also, I'm uh, using my handheld. You're gonna hear a little bit of handling noise today. Uh, I've got this on a stereo uh, the microphone's a stereo pattern. Uh, don't ask why. I don't know. It's uh, the default set. Uh, the default for this particular recorder that I'm using is one of my uh, favorite recorders, and I just forget to go in and put it on mono. So you might actually hear this more in one side of your headset than the other. Uh, if you're listening over stereo speakers, you might hear it that way. Don't adjust your speakers un unless you just want to. It's it's my fault. It's me. It's not you. But it's okay. I hope it sounds okay. And I hope I sound okay. So uh, before getting into the subject, I think it's only fitting to uh, just throw this out there. A lot of you already know, uh, a few weeks ago, I got hit by a van. Dang. That's, a, that's the kind of thing that will mess up your day. But just prior to getting hit by the van, I had a really good lunch at Chick-fil-A. It was really good. Christian chicken. I'm going to just tell you, I'm, I've never been a really big fan of Christian chicken, <laughs> but I, I went in there and um, I ordered the, I don't know, whatever, whatever their regular chicken sandwich is, and um, had the macaroni and cheese and a Diet Coke. It was great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Christian chicken. That is the preferred lunch for people about to get hit by a van. So just, uh, just putting it out there. Um, that was a bad thing, uh, but I'm okay. Uh, it, it, the only thing that really got damaged was my left leg, and that was crushed pretty bad. And, um, wow, uh, pain, misery... They talk. Some some people say, you know, in these in these times of crisis and these terrible events, you don't remember the details. I remember everything. <laughs> I remember. I remember everything. I remember you know, the people that came over to me, the conversations that they were trying to have with me while I was laying on the ground, the uh, ride over to uh, the hospital, uh, the hours of wait <laughs> that I had uh, before seeing someone and getting something for pain. I remember all of it, and um, I, I wish I could forget that. You know, that memory causes me to forget, you know, cute puppies that I've seen. So <laughs> I would I would really rather remember the puppies and forget the uh, anguish of this event that is ongoing. 
So people, you know, if you think that a few weeks after that and after a couple of surgeries that, you know, you should, you should be on the mend now. You should, you should be feeling better. No, no, it's going to take a long time before I'm actually feeling better. So if you're wondering how I'm doing, I feel like I got hit by a van yesterday. <laughs> That's how I feel. And I think, um, I think that's going to be the case for a while, and uh, I understand that that's that's not abnormal for this type of injuries. It, it really was pretty bad. Uh, my leg, you know, my ankle, my foot—it's still so swollen. You know, there are lots of places that are broken down that leg, including the ankle. And foot is is so swollen and it's numb in certain places, and the leg still feels dead. And most of the time during my day, I wish they had just amputated the leg. And I am not convinced that they won't at some point. It's just a bother. It's, it's such a bother right now. Um, at some point, it might start feeling better. I have a follow-up appointment. Uh, if you're listening to this on a Sunday, I'm recording this on Sunday. So I recorded and put it right out. I... I am, uh, I've got a follow-up appointment this Thursday with a new doctor that I haven't seen before, but he's, uh, he's local to me, whereas all of the surgery happened uh, in New York. I live in New Jersey, so found a Jersey doctor that would take over my case. He's got all, all my files, the images and all that, and he's agreed to do it. Uh, and uh, we'll have him look at it and we'll start following the doctor's orders. One other thing that I wanted to mention about this, because I understand it's been a source of conversation, and I want you to know that it's a conversation that I'm there for. Uh, you've there's been some conversation about uh, opioid addiction and uh, just prescription drug addiction, that sort of thing. Uh, I I understand. I haven't actually read it myself, so maybe if I read it, I would feel differently. But uh, honestly, I've been. I've been the center of a lot of conversation for a lot of my life. You know, I was a preacher for a part of my life. Uh, I've, I've, I was a performer, a musician for a part of my life. I've, I've been on stage a lot since I was a little kid, in fact. And so uh, I'm, I'm very used to being on stage and being the center of attention and being loved and also being hated. <laughs> and and, and I, I know what that is. I know what it is to be uh, spoken of kindly. I know what it is to be slandered horribly. And um, I've got a pretty thick skin for that sort of thing. So uh, if, if people say things about me and speculation and, and go a little too far, that's okay. I'm a public figure. Uh, it's, it's like slandering Donald Trump. Go for it. <laughs> so um, that's fine. I say that kind of thing and people, uh, people think that I don't mean it or maybe that I shouldn't mean it. But it's just kind of human nature, and you can't defeat it. And you have to, in you know, a polemicist like myself, who uh, often crosses the line when they're talking about other people, has to be able to uh, take it when other people cross the line when when you know they're talking about you. So that that's okay. Don't don't worry about me as far as that goes. Don't cry for me, Argentina. My my uh, skin is very tough in in that sense and when it comes to prescription drug addiction this is an important subject 
I actually write a lot about this in my professional life. And, and so it's a, it's an important subject. It should be talked about. And if I can be the catalyst for that subject, great. And if there's anything helpful said in that conversation, great. And if there's anything slanderous said about me in that conversation, but the conversation can produce a net good, uh, but, but some harm to me and my reputation, I'm okay with that too. Uh, so that's that's fine. Have the conversation. If you don't know what you're talking about, maybe talk less, listen more, ask questions. If you do have some relevant experience there, share it so that we can all uh, benefit from your experience in cautionary tales and things like that. I will get a little bit personal here so that you understand where I am. Obviously, after an accident like the kind that I had, you're going to be on some pain meds. All right. Um, they kind of have to put you on payments. Actually, I don't, I, I think they would probably get sued out of their medical license if they didn't. So there is a, there is a certain kind of accident and a certain level of pain where pain management means strong pain medicine. And that's just the way of it. If you think that you can pray your way out of it or Zen Buddhist your way out of it, uh, I, you're just not living in the the reality of the Western world. And I live in the Western world and I, I subscribe to Western medicine. Um, so pain medicine is a part of pain management, you know, at, especially at a certain level. And if you think that you don't need real pain medicine, it's probably because you haven't suffered enough pain. You know, when, when Mother Teresa had real health problems, you know what she did? She didn't check herself into one of her clinics. She went to a hospital in America. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she did. That's what, that's what they do. You know, that's what many of uh, the world leaders do when, when the problem, when they have the problem. All right. So there's just something to be said about that. I'm not trying to start a war about what country has the best medicine or what, what philosophies are the best, but you know, people, when it's them, they tend to go and seek out what they think is the best. I mean, many Americans go to other places to seek out treatment there. So I, this is not a matter of that. It's just a matter of, you know, what you think might be right for you based on your situation. So I, I definitely have taken my fair share of oxy during this time. And it, even helped me produce uh, a podcast or two from time to time. But, and I'm, I'm very public about that sort of thing. And there was even a time when I felt like, okay, I feel the grip of the oxy a little bit in the, by the way, the only way you actually start feeling the grip of it is when you're not taking it. That's when you, that's when you feel it. And there, there are certain signs that, it's certain physiological things that happen that are, are very unpleasant when you stop taking a thing that your body has gotten really used to taking that has a kind of an, a, an addictive thing. I've, I've been there. I've been there with other medications and other treatments from other uh, illnesses that I've had. I've had a, a number of serious illnesses in my lifetime, so I'm not new to the hospital. I'm not new to uh, major surgery. Uh, unfortunately, I am one of those people who has always been athletic and healthy, except for all of the stuff that's wrong with me. 
and I always, I've always pushed past that to do, uh, you know, try to maintain the, the best health that I can, but I, my health has never been great. You know, it, it started breaking down when I was 17 and, uh, I started seeing doctors for serious things. Then I won't go into what those things were, but I've, I've been under doctor's care for serious stuff for a long time. And I've had a lot of medicine in my system. I can tell you, I have an extremely high tolerance for opioids. They don't tend to addict me or bother me in the slightest. I do need to take things uh, for nausea when I'm taking opioids because they, they do make me kind of nauseous. But other than that, uh, I can probably take more than the average person and be just fine. Uh, this is not a boast. It's just the fact that since 17, I've been living with some pretty terrible things and I've developed a pretty high tolerance. So, uh, opioid, opioid addiction is not the, my most likely downfall. And I don't want anyone to, to worry about that, but I'm going to tell you something even more personal than that. I have addiction in my family, close family. We're not talking about distant family. And I've got an addiction in my distant family too. So it, it, it runs through the DNA of my family. It's in my genes. And it, and it pisses me off <laughs> to be quite frankly, to, quite frank. I, I hate addiction to anything, but it is a part of the human experience and I'm human. and. It's in my DNA at a very low level, or is it high level? A very close to the bone level for me. I'm aware of that. And so to stay as far away from the possibility of falling into the trap that uh, other members of my family have fallen into. I refuse to take the medicine I need to get better most of the time. That is, that is my default position. When doctors prescribe me strong medicine, yes, I will get it filled. And yes, I will take it every now and then. I never take it as prescribed. Very seldom do I take it as prescribed. I take about half that during the, during the worst of the pain cycle. And I start getting off of it way sooner than they tell me I have to. I want to be as far away from that line as possible. As a result, I take on board a lot more pain than I absolutely have to, because I'm scared to death of getting anywhere near that, that line that I know is a time bomb in my DNA. So I don't, I don't want any part of it. And I still harbor resentment in my family members who, um, succumbed and they don't have half the issues that I have. <laughs> 
And now because of them, I've got to suffer more because I'm scared. I'm scared to become them. I love my family. <laughs> we have a we have a complicated relationship, but we we do love each other. But that's that's a part of my deep seated internal resentment that I don't think I'll ever put away because they have they have caused me to come to the place where I I have to walk away from necessary treatments because I don't want to be like them. Okay, I didn't I didn't expect this uh, moment to be that emotional <laughs> for me. Um so there's a there's a bit of my personal life. If you want to if you want to go and speculate about that, <laughs> there's there's some uh real speculation I have, but um I I did kind of want to report on that and talk about that a little bit because that is some of the conversation going on in the community and uh, I love you for it and uh, you know, thank you for keeping that at top of mind. Uh, in my case, it's okay. You don't have to worry about it, but I think it's a good conversation to have. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just keep looking out for each other. And, uh, it's, it's funny. You don't need a God or a God belief to care about each other and look out for each other. <laughs> just, just a thing to note here as we go into Pastor Matt's sermon, I think his his church is a sandals church, but it's not a it's not a church as in a single congregation. This is like a mega pastor and a mega ministry. He's got many campuses and things like that. He's speaking from his fresh new studio. And he's talking about cancel culture. This came up on Red Letters. Uh, I'm not going to go into exactly how. Check out patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, become a member. It's a, it's a dollar a week, essentially. Uh, this past one was free. I wanted to give a freebie to the community because the community has been so generous. There's a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, he's not going to want me to mention it, but hopefully he won't unfriend me for doing so. Brian with a Y uh, has been very instrumental behind the scenes to get this GoFundMe campaign started and uh, to publicize it. And he's, uh, he's, look, Brian is a true human. And if you know me, that's, that's about the highest compliment I know how to give. He's a true human. And I, I, I long to be as true of a human uh, as that guy. And I'm surrounded by people, uh, both on the skeptic side and the Christian side who are true humans in their way, you know, and I, I, uh, I'm very fortunate to have that community. Uh, and I, I thank you all I wanted to, you know, I, I talked uh, a little bit, uh, one of my uh, updates from the GoFundMe about the generosity of skeptics, but I wanted to make it clear that just because Christians don't necessarily give to, you know, causes like 
like the one I have, it doesn't mean that they're not generous or less generous. You know, they have, they have different ways of, of doing it. They, they give money, they just give it differently and, and things like that. I just, I wanted to make it clear there. And I want to make it clear here, uh, that this is not a, an indictment of Christians and, uh, in an endorsement of skepticism, generosity is also a true human thing. And we all, we all have it at varying levels and you don't have it more because you're a skeptic and you don't have it less because you're a Christian or vice versa. And, uh, so I, I just want to thank all of the true humans in my life for, uh, their generosity of spirit. Uh, they have kept me going. Uh, if you want to, I, I almost hate to say this because it's, it's self-serving, but people more than one person, let me just say, has come to me privately and said, you know, I don't want, I don't want to give there because I don't, I don't know anything about this GoFundMe thing. I don't, I don't trust things. I don't want to be a joiner. I don't want my name attached to things. You can, you can donate privately to GoFundMe, by the way. So it could, it could be private donation, but they've said, look, I just want to give you directly. How do I do that? Send me an email, skeptics and seekers, at gmail.com or redlettersbook at gmail.com or my actual email address, if you know that, if you would like my private email address, just send me a query to one of my public email addresses. I'll tell you, it's not, it's not really that big of a secret. Um, and there, there are ways to donate directly. But I'll tell you, one of the things that would uh, brighten my path, and, it, and it's an easy thing to do, if you want to donate, some money to me, go over to patreon.com slash red letters, become a member. Uh, there's, there's some free content that you can look at. If you, if you, if you just want the free content and you want to get my free book, red letters, closer look at the worst, uh, practical, practical and moral teachings in history. And, and then you then cancel before you can get billed. That's okay. It's okay. There, I don't have any way of offering free trials. And so think of that as a free trial and, uh, you get the book for free as a free gift. Uh, for for trying it, so that's fine. It's okay to use it that way. No one has ever canceled. I can I can tell you that, it, having seen the metrics, no one has ever canceled after becoming a member of Red Letters. I don't know if it's because they love the content. I'm always putting out content, or if they've just forgotten. I don't think anyone's <laughs> forgotten that they are uh, members of Red Letters. So uh, you know, if you do join, you're thinking, you know, I'll just join a couple of weeks and and check out. People check in. They don't tend to check out. They're still alive. They're okay. <laughs> so uh, stop by patreon.com slash red letters. Uh, you can even give, you know, more than the dollar a week. You can, you can give a one-time contribution. So that's one way that you can do it. Uh, and um, so if you don't, if you don't want to do a GoFundMe campaign, you can actually contribute in a lot of ways. Or at patreon.com slash red letters. Okay, Pastor Matt and cancel culture. This is a this is an interesting subject. I know this podcast is long. I really should break this up into two weeks. I'm actually gonna try to do this all at once. This is a long sermon. It's 45 minutes. I've got a lot to say, and I'm just gonna try to bite my tongue. So there might be long swaths of this where I don't talk. But you can know that I'm really chomping at the bit. I want to. <laughs> uh, I'll say a few things. I'll, I'll have some comments uh, at the end of this, as I as I always do. And here's the thing: there is a lot of this sermon 
that I really like. I mean, I genuinely like. I'm saying that in a non-ironic way. And whether you're Christian or or a skeptic, there's a lot of this sermon that you can really love. And if you take out the religious bits of nonsense, <laughs> this could be a good uh, speech at a skeptics uh, convention too. Um, and, but you know, if you like the bits of religious nonsense, you're going to like that too. So there, there, there's a lot that I like, even even where there's a, a lot that I. Uh, don't like, and so we'll uh, we'll let Master uh, Master Pat, we'll let Pastor Matt tell us a little bit more about surviving cancel culture. I can show you that the the main point that he hammers on about is hypocrisy and stubbornness and and things like that. But underlying this is his idea of surviving cancel culture. Pastor Matt. Culture, because so many of us worry our jobs are at stake. We're worried maybe our, our relationship is at stake. We're worried that uh, some of our relationships with a family members at stake, and we're constantly so concerned about losing a friendship, losing a, a job, losing a platform, losing just everything that you've worked so hard for. And the Apostle Paul talks specifically in Romans 2 about how to navigate this culture that literally, you know, just pulls people in and spits them out. So we're in Romans 2, verses 1 through 11 today. And the Apostle Paul begins with these words. He says, you may think you can condemn such people. What people? Well, for six weeks, we've been in Romans 1, and the Apostle Paul has been talking directly about these people that exchange who God is for the God they want. And they begin to worship creatures and things, their careers, their sexuality. And a lot of you have been like, amen, pastor, amen, pastor, amen, pastor. And just know Paul's coming for you. He's just turned the corner and he's gone away from Romans 1 where you're like, amen, amen. And in Romans chapter 2, you're going to go, ouch. And he's coming right for you. So he says, you may think you can, can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. So a lot of you guys, you judge people that don't know better, but you do know better. And Paul's coming for you. He says, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you judge others, but you do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice, right? In real justice, not justice with a modifier, real justice, eternal justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Okay, just a, a real quick in, uh, interruption. A couple of points that I want to make. First of all, this idea of justice. Uh, I I tend to think the idea of justice with a capital J is for people who are emotionally immature. These are the people who think that life is fair on a cosmic scale, that the universe is fair, that there's something, someone, some ultimate fairness giver who uh, who has the scales of fairness and justice, and whatever wrongs that happen, that person is going to make it right. Okay, that's a child's view of fairness. A, a, a mature view of fairness is that it doesn't exist. Universally speaking, the universe does not care <laughs> about you and uh, what happened to you and whether it was fair or not. And that there is no magical happy ending where everything is going to be made fair. We know that. So justice is something that we as humans have to impose ourselves. It is a social construct. 
and nothing more. If you take away all of the social creatures from the universe, there's no concept of justice. It wouldn't even make any sense. Rocks don't need justice. Humans need justice. So humans create justice. It's a, it's a, it's a social construct. There is no justice with a capital J. There is no God's justice. And we can talk about it in the comments uh, if you like. There, there is just the justice that we can discover and negotiate among our ourselves. And, and we do have to do this. We do have to do the hard work of morality ourselves to get to the hard work of justice and fairness at, at the local level. So uh, we're, we're going to come to, this is going to be a recurring theme uh, through this sermon. We'll come to this later. The other thing, though, that I wanted to observe about cancel culture in general that he uh, that he mentioned early on is, you know, how you how you become afraid of losing your place in social media or your job or your family, you know, because of because of your stand for Jesus. A atheists have been living that fear and that reality since forever. Gay, the gay and queer community have been living that fear in that reality forever. Christians have been the chief cancelers in culture long before the term cancel culture came about. Christians have been the ones with their finger on the cancel button, and they cancel anyone and everyone that they want to with impunity. You know why they're concerned about it now? They're concerned about it because now, all of a sudden, they are the ones who are getting canceled, and someone else has their finger on the button. How do you like them apples? Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Anybody feeling Paul? He's coming after me, and I know he's coming after you. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed and he will judge everyone, everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger, his wrath on those who live for themselves, for those who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. He says there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Isn't that amazing? We're working so hard in our culture for racial reconciliation. God's gonna reconcile all the races on the day of judgment. And he's not gonna play favorites. He's gonna judge us all according to his righteous standard. 
So how do I build my faith? You see, the reason so many of us are so intimidated and so worried about a cancel culture is many of you are building your platform. And so you mute yourself to build your platform. So if you wanna navigate this cancel culture, I wanna encourage you to be more concerned about building your faith in God than building your career in the world. I want you to be more concerned about building your relationship with Jesus than you are about building your relationship with your friends who judge you, who have a different way of thinking. So here's what I gotta do. Number one, I gotta realize how easy it is to get caught up in a cancel culture. So many of my conservative friends, they love to just throw stones at my democratic friends and my democratic, you know, uh, people that I relate to and they're, they're a cancel culture, they're a cancel culture. You know, they might be a little bit more, but let me tell you something. My, my conservative friends, they'll cancel you or me just as quick. It's just over different issues. We constantly do this. We constantly judge others for the very same things we do ourselves. Paul says this, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, right? You're just as bad. The next time you're, you know, you feel like telling somebody they're number one on the highway because of something they just did, ask yourself, how many times have I done this? You may have just done it. When you're, when you're getting ready to just lose your mind on your kids because of how they speak, how are you speaking? Look at yourself. We judge others for this very same things. And so many of you, as we go through, when Paul talks about sexual immorality, you know, Paul talks about, you know, homosexuality, all these issues that maybe don't affect you personally, you kind of turn your nose down and you look at someone else, look, you judge them sexually, but you give yourself permission to sin sexually in any way that you want. And that's what we got to look at. We got to look at ourselves. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. Listen to me, self-righteousness is at an all-time high in our culture right now. That's why we throw stones in every direction. We're constantly judging someone else of a different ethnicity, of a different gender, of a different political persuasion. And both sides are so contentious, so unforgiving, right? I mean, we just elected a president who said he's gonna bring us together. How's he doing? I don't think he's doing that well because we're all entrenched in our sides. We just had a president who wasn't elected and I don't wanna get your controversy emails. I don't think he's handling it that well. And so we're entrenched in this darkness, in this ugliness, and we're condemning others for the very same things we do ourselves. You're just as bad. And if you don't agree with that statement, then you don't agree with Jesus. You don't. You have no excuse. You have no excuse. So many people running around, they haven't been raised right. You've been raised again. It's called being born again. You've been challenged. You've been changed. Okay, they don't have the spirit of God in them. They have the spirit of this world. You have the Holy Spirit inside you that guides you, that teaches you, that's directing you. Okay, just just a real quick interruption. He's on a roll here. He doesn't leave me a lot of good, easy places to get in. So sorry about the rough uh, cut in and cutouts. The last thing that he was saying, you know, you you know, we Christians, we should have an advantage, you know, because we were maybe maybe you weren't raised right, but we were born again. That's just re religious. Claptrap, okay? If you weren't raised well, you're going to have all the troubles of anyone who wasn't raised well. Being born again, quote-unquote, whatever that means in spiritual uh, terms, has no bearing on your actual physical, practical reality. 
It doesn't help. Uh, they're not filled with the Spirit of God, but you've got the Spirit of God, so what? Because there is zero practical advantage of having the Spirit of God in you. Just look at all of the people walking around who supposedly have the Spirit of God in them. They do the same things that you do. And so th- there's, you know, he's doing so well with his sermon. Then, then he brings in this kind of this religio-spiritual claptrap about the advantages that Christians should have and the fact is, we can all see that those quote-unquote advantages of having the Holy Spirit don't exist. It convicts you. You judge them, but you need to look at yourself. Well, you say, well, they're wicked and they should be punished. Listen to what he says. You are condemning yourself. Some of you don't know this, but Jesus said that the measure that will be used against you on judgment day is the measure you used against others. You use against others. For you who judge others do these very same things. And you're like, well, that's why I don't judge people. No, no, no. It doesn't say not to have judgment. It says not to be judgmental. Some of you have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and you don't judge anyone, but you have no judgment. You have no wisdom. You have no clue. You've never read your Bible. You're just like, well, I've always thought, well, God doesn't care what you've always thought. He wants you to know what he thinks. And this is what he says. And we know that God will punish in his justice. His justice, not your justice, not my justice. And that's what my concern is for so many of you who are young, right? My social justice warriors, you're marching and here's my concern for you that you become just as dangerous or worse than the oppressors you've tried to overthrow. And we see this time and time again in culture after culture, not just in America, but we see people rise to the the top promising to be better than the dictator they replaced. And oftentimes they're much worse. And in the name of unity, right? they, they, They completely silence dissension. They completely destroy it. We gotta be so careful that we don't become more evil than what we replaced. You know, Russia was ruled by the czars and it was a corrupt system. It was a problematic system. The word czar in Russian is the word for king. And they had a czar system and the people felt like they weren't represented. And so there was a movement towards communism. And specifically, there were two brothers and their last name was Lenin. And they decided that it was their job to blow up the czar of Russia. And they tried and they almost succeeded, but they failed. Here's what's interesting, and you need to know this, and none of you have ever been taught this in school, but the czar looked at Vladimir Lenin's older brother, and he said, you're old enough to be held responsible, and he put him to death. But he looked at Vladimir Lenin, and he said, you're too young, there's still a chance for you, and he let him live. Years later, when Vladimir Lenin led the socialist revolution in Russia, he was not so gracious to the czar. He wasn't. And when he came to power in the name of people, and to the name of sharing, in the name of socialism, communism, in the name of everybody getting what everybody deserves, he killed not just the czar, but his entire family, all of his cousins, sisters, sons and daughters, and all the children. You see, if we're not careful, if we don't have the spirit of God in the name of justice, we will bring something way worse than what we're trying to replace. We all have to be so careful. We can all be hypocritical, right? Our founding fathers wrote that all men were created equal but they never lived up to that. They decided that men were valued based upon the color of their skin, that people were valued based upon their gender, right? They they got it right on paper, but they got it wrong in life. Yeah, I just wanna jump in and say, yeah, amen to that. American history, I don't wanna bring up a bunch of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with this, but uh, today, the day that I'm recording this uh, is Juneteenth. If you don't know what Juneteenth is, you have been ill-served by American history. 
you have been ill served by it. I didn't know what it was until a few years ago, until I was kind of forced to know. My mother, who has a PhD, didn't know what it was <laughs> until a few years ago. Um, we have been ill served by the system, blacks and whites. I can tell you, I did something different this year. I told my wife, uh, let's not celebrate the 4th uh, this year. That's that's not really independence for us. Um, and we've celebrated that every year anyway. Let's celebrate Juneteenth. And celebration for us just means uh, cooking a lot of food that we usually don't have and uh, enjoying a moment. And we did that. And my wife is an excellent cook. It's great. <laughs> so... Uh, yay for my first Juneteenth celebration. Uh, it is now finally a national holiday and there will, there will come a generation of people from here that just celebrate it as a national holiday, just like July 4th. But people in my generation, it will always be tainted by the fact that it took this long and it took this much blood and sweat and tears to have this recognized. All right. Um, yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go back to the sermon. I thought I had a point that really connected that to the sermon, but uh, my emotions got in the way. And so let's go back to the sermon. And we all got to remember that. We got to be so careful. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why? Why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Look, you might be able to fool me. And let me tell you something. I've been fooled, man. I've been fooled by men, women, old, young. I mean, I've been fooled by every ethnicity you can imagine. You can fool me, but you cannot fool God. God knows. God knows. So many of you, and this is, if you wanna know what really ticks God off, it's a thing called hypocrisy. We gotta be so careful. And a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and judges others for it, and then they do it themselves. They do the exact opposite of what they're preaching. They do ex the exact opposite of what they're saying. Here's what Jesus said. So you outwardly appear righteous to others. You know what that's called? Social media. Social media. Oh, you're so, man, you're the holiest person I know. I know because I've been on your Instagram page. I've seen your tweets. You, you sit on, on, on the throne of God most high and you just let us all know how we should live, right? So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that word lawlessness means a lack of justice. A lack of justice. And here's what, here's what I'm seeing in our culture today. When I grew up as a kid, it was the religious right that was the real problem, the real problem. Told us all how to live, right? Fundamentalist, just nasty, you know, hellfire and brimstone preaching. And, and what we found out was they were doing all the things they told us not to do, total hypocrites. And now as I've grown older, now it's the secularist. Now, now it's the non-religious, man. They would make wonderful fundamentalist hellfire and brimstone preachers. They don't, just don't use the word of God, they use their words. First Peter 2, 1 says this, so get rid of all evil behavior. I want you to look at that word evil because a lot of you say, well, I'm not evil. Well, let's let God define what evil is. Let's not. Okay, um, this is, this is uh, that recurring 
point again, let's let God uh, define what justice is. There's no such thing as justice in some universal sense. There's no universal fairness. Justice is what we can carve out. And uh, yeah, we can. It, it, it's a great ideal if we can have level scales for every human being. But that is the work of humans to, to do. No one, no, no man in the sky is, is doing that. And the same is true with evil. I mean, evil, it's, that's kind of a religious term, but you know, I think there are ways that we can use it as secularists as well. So I, I don't necessarily shy away from evil. I, I don't like to use it when I'm talking in a religious context because it has so much baggage. But I don't think that you have to excise the word from your language just because of that religious baggage. We all know what it means. And so in that sense, you know, we know, we know what it is to cause social harm uh, and, and to do things that cause uh, more harm than good to other people. And there are other things that we can do that are just socially neutral. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. It, it may cause us some harm in some way, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually harm everyone. It's just a matter of uh, individual people expressing their individual selves with the freedom that they have. I don't consider those things evils. So when I think of the evils, I think of social evils. I don't think of uh, individual evils. You know, I don't, I don't believe in magic words, for instance. And so if you say damn fuck shit, um, don't care. That's not evil. <laughs> okay. No one, there's no social harm here. Um, you know, you haven't, you haven't caused anything terrible in the universe to happen. Uh, when you, when you say things like that, uh, you know, you might want to improve your vocabulary so that you have other things to say around them so that when you use those words, they actually help to make and emphasize a point. If you don't have a point other than, you know, just a string of profanity, then, you know, I find that as useless as if you don't use profanity and you don't have a point. <laughs> so, um, you know, evil, social, uh, evil, uh, sexuality, human sexuality. This is a, a place where Christians harp on this preacher. Pastor Matt has already talked about human sexuality. He will talk about it some more. I, I assure you, uh, consenting adults having sex and enjoying themselves. Uh, this is an evil for Christians. And I would like to invite Christians to tell me exactly what social harm happened because person A and person B had a hookup last night. You know, they, they were both considering adults. They enjoyed themselves. They did it safely. There's no, uh, project. Tell me exactly <laughs> what the, what the evil is. Well, the evil for the Christian is the evil that they imagine their God sees. When you've got an imaginary God and your God has imagined, has imaginary opinions about things, well, that can become really dangerous. You know, it's not me who declares this evil. It's God who declares it evil. And it's not me who declares that this is a death penalty offense. So I'm sorry, I'm going to have to kill you for this. No, it's my God that says it's a death penalty offense and uh, got to kill you for it. So, you know, that's, that's where things get really ugly when you start. And, and it, it's a thing that gets really scary because when Christians have any kind of political power or any kind of power over you at all, they can exert 
a lot of control on the basis of what they think their God wants. And, and, you know, for some reason in America, you know, if, if you can say, well, but God says that's wrong, then, then you have the ability to exert power over people who don't recognize your God. So I'm just going to say as a skeptic, I don't give a damn what your God thinks is evil. I don't care. I don't think your God exists. So I, I think that that is just a structure of your uh, mental misfiring and also a part of, you know, your your social construct, your your social evolution that's telling you that, you know, th- this is evil and this is coming from someplace other than me and other than uh, humanity. And that's fine. Uh, you can have that. I don't give a damn. Your God says that... Um, you know, doing a thing is evil, don't give a damn. If you want me to care about an action that you think is evil, you're going to have to talk about it in holy human terms. And guess what? You could convince me that certain things that I do or that other people do are evil, but you have to convince me of that. You can't just declare that some invisible God says it's evil, therefore it's evil. And Christians, that's where you're losing the fight. So get rid of all evil behavior. What is it? Be done with deceit. That's lying, twisting. Be done with hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The Greek word for hypocrite means actor. What so many of you want to be one day. I wanna wanna grow up and be a faker. I wanna be so good at it, I get awards for it, right? Be done with acting. Be done with jealousy. Being mad that someone else succeeded. Like a lot, many of you, you want your kids to do better. You want your brother or sister to do better. You just don't want them to do better than you. Like you don't want your sister to be ugly, but you just don't want her to be more beautiful than you, right? You, 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 don't, you don't want your, your relatives to be overweight and unhealthy. You just don't want them to be fitter than you. Like don't get carried away, you know, and just, you know, turn into an exercise nut. We get jealous Oh, and wait for it, my social media warriors, and all unkind speech. This week, man, you know, Rush Limbaugh died, and it was amazing to me. And I, I've never been, you know, a, a Rush Limbaugh fan. And one of the reasons I, I wasn't into him was, was the way that in his, his form of political entertainment, I felt like he belittled people, and he put people down, and he made fun of people. Matter of fact, Rush Limbaugh started off in Sacramento. I grew up in Sacramento. And he used to make fun of, when he talked about dumb people, Rio Linda, I grew up right next to Rio Linda, right? He's talking about me. And I get it, he's being funny, and sometimes I'm being funny, and that's why you guys send me the wonderful emails to let me know and keep me straight. Like, you gotta keep me straight, right? That's because you hadn't read Romans 2.1. You know, so now you need to read Romans 2.1 before you send me your little opinion. But what's interesting to me is people who praise the fact that he died, and they said the world is a better place because he's gone. And what they mocked was his attitude and how he talked about people, and guess what they did in their social media posts? The very same thing. The very poison they said he espoused came from them just on a different side of the aisle. Okay, so I was a Rush Limbaugh fan once upon a time. When I was a young conservative, young black conservative, don't judge. Actually, you you can judge. It's okay. Um, Yeah, I used to listen to talk radio 24-7, and I owned an espresso bar once upon a time when I was younger, and so I, I had it playing all the time. Um, I, I 
played talk radio and I'd have a chessboard set up and I would take on all comers and do my work. I was pretty good at chess. I didn't lose a lot. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was fun. I was about a 1600. Most people, uh, aren't quite that high. I was, I was reading chess books and watching videos and eating and drinking chess. And so that's about as good as I could get. Uh, I was, I was not, anywhere near GM level, never going to get there. That's a, you know, you need to flip a different switch in your brain if you're going to be there. And I don't think that switch exists with me, but I still have to, uh, play chess. I, I could, you know, put two or three boards out and play different people at the same time. And, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't lose very much <laughs> doing that. Let me put it that way. But, um, I did, uh, I did have a few faults. One of them was I was really addicted to conservative talk radio. I loved uh, Rush Limbaugh. I thought that he was really good at what he did. You know, whether you agreed with him or not, he was one of the best at the thing that he did. So when uh, Rush Limbaugh died, I was not a young conservative. I was neither young nor conservative at, at that point. But I, but I got it. I understood why people was glad he was dead. And I understood why people were sad that he was dead. And I was this muddy mixture of both. And I want to say it's, um, it is okay. I think, I think it's pertinent. This is, <laughs> I'm going to lose some of my audience when I say this. It's okay to be glad that some people are dead. Uh, I was, I was, uh, riding through, uh, we were going across country somewhere and we stopped at a, my wife and I at the time, she's a driver. We stopped at a, a bar. We just wanted to, you know, use the bathroom, get a Coke, you know, whatever. And this was the only place that we had found after a long stretch of road. So we went by, they were closed. And, uh, the person said, yeah, there was a, there was a murder last night. And we were like, oh, well, really sorry about that. He said, oh, no, no, don't be sorry. Uh, you need to kill him. <laughs> and uh, that kind of stuck with me because the fact of the matter is there are people who need killing. Uh, I, I happen to think that Vladimir Putin is a person who probably needs killing. Uh, I'm not the guy to do it. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> killing people. But I, I, there, there are probably people who need uh, killing in the world. And, you know, if they don't need killing, they need stopping. Someone needs to intervene with force and stop other people from doing bad things and committing social evils. I, I, I think that it is just as immoral to sit around and do nothing and allow people to commit social evil as it is to be the one to commit social evil. And, you know, if you have a, a complicated system of what you think is justice and morality, and so it, you don't think that, you know, you don't want to commit an evil to stop an evil. You know, it, it could be that what we need is the lesser of two evils. So which is worse? You know, I commit a social evil that affects one person and me to stop a social evil that affects millions of people. So, you know, for me, I, I, uh, cash out that equation a little bit differently, uh, than others. And I think that there are some people who need killing and when they die of natural causes, I think it 
uh, is worth celebrating because these are the people who've had their foots on the necks of people for a long time and they have poisoned generations for a long time or they have sexually molested uh, people, innocent people for a long time. They have done really bad things and continue to do really bad things and wreck society in ways that are really hard to recover for a long time and society would have been better off if they had died a long time ago. But they got to live and their victims had to die. And I think it's okay to celebrate, to raise a drink of celebration when certain people die. I don't know if Rush Limbaugh rises to that occasion or not. I can understand it if you think that he does. But the thing that I can get on board uh, with this uh, preacher on this point, I think it's a, a fair point, is that we could stand to be a little bit more kind a little bit more gracious to people that we disagree with. I try to do that. I am a polemicist and I'm a little bit of a loose cannon and I get off the chain. I, I, I get a feeling that this is what my audience is waiting for, <laughs> waiting for me to slip the leash. <laughs> There's no one holding the leash for me. And uh, so I, I slip the leash sometimes, but sometimes I go too far and I know it and I have to come back and apologize or try to, you know, try to do better the next time. And I encourage other people to do that too. I think that we can stand to be a little bit more kind to people and a little bit more generous of spirit to people. And so I'm just going to lead the way in repenting, if I can borrow this Christian language, of times when I have not been as kind and as understanding as I need it to be in, in certain situations. And, uh, so I, I sincerely would like to reset and do better. Now I'm going to fall down on this probably before this podcast is over. <laughs> But, you know, if we can all, you know, try to do that with one another, you know, we just had a, we're, we're on the, the discussion boards and we have these bitter conversations and, you know, they turn ugly because it's the internet and this is, this is how it works. You know what? Go back to your corner for a few days uh, and, and come back and reconcile and try to do better next time. And I think the more that we do that, the more that we can force ourselves to go back and try that conversation again or a different conversation again with someone that we find difficult, the better human beings we are, the better communicators we will become. And you might find that at the end of the day, you actually have a friend on the other side of the aisle than an enemy. Well, let's talk about social media. Social media is where we all pretend. It's where we play pretend. We used to go to Disneyland, now we go to our phones. Can't go to Disneyland, it's closed. Phone's still open. Social media is where we pretend, listen to me, to be happier than we are. Look at our family. Yeah, you just beat your kids and you've argued with your husband. 
And you took one photo, but you didn't even go home together, right? You went home in different cars. Get out of here. Social media is where we pretend to be happier than we are. How about this one? More moral than we are. Always love, especially you ladies. I've never seen a guy do this. I'm just having my personal quiet time with the Lord. Bible open, picture. I mean, how many times did you have to take a picture to get your Bible just right? Praying for all you sinners once again today. We pretend we're more moral than we are. You told your, your husband and your kids, shut up, get out of here. I'm, pre- I'm, I'm, I'm praying to God. Hate all of you. Lord, help me, right? Some of us on social media, we pretend that we're more intelligent than we are. You know you're not smart. You know you're not smart. You flunked seventh grade biology and you're talking to me about COVID and COVID vaccines? I mean, suddenly you're a scientist? I mean, you can't even understand Bill Nye, the science guy, right? And you're like, oh, I got all these opinions. I mean, it's crazy. Some of you act like this. You're more connected than you are. You're more woke. You're more awake to the culture. My mom asked me, she's a senior citizen. She says, what does woke mean? It means awake to the culture. Social media is where we go to pretend. Listen to me. This is the vision of Jesus for the church. Sandals Church is a place where we're gonna stop pretending and we're gonna invite God to tell us exactly where we are. You think Jesus is impressed with your social media posts? You think Jesus is in heaven? He's like, whoa, wow, that was a good one. Whoa. Do you see this, dad? It's almost like scripture. You know, Holy Spirit, was this you? Did you say that? Did you utter that? Come on. So here's how we survive in a cancel culture. Instead of building our careers, our lives, our platforms, we build our faith. And we build our faith by reminding myself, yourself, we remind ourselves of how good God has been to me. You know why you're so angry? You know why you're so upset? Because you are focused on everything that's gone wrong. When's the last time you said thank you for what went right? Romans 2, 4. Paul says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, there's a good word, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? For some of you, this means absolutely nothing. You feel like God has put you on earth to be a referee. Well, there aren't enough police anymore. They defunded the police. I'm gonna be a, a social media cop. You feel like that's your role. That's your purpose. I'm just gonna tell them what I think. Okay, do you, know, do you know what I do with your, your rude comments? I just ignore them. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. I just look the other way. My wife said, doesn't that bother you? No. You know what bothers me? What God thinks. That's what bothers me. That's what keeps me up at night. Because one day I'm gonna stand before God and I'm not gonna be held accountable by, by all these social media, you know, justice warriors. I'm gonna stand before the warrior who died on a cross to save my, from my sins. And he's gonna hold me accountable. I care about what God thinks. Does this mean nothing to you? Nothing? Can't you see this is God's kindness intended to turn you from your sin? You know how God tries to turn you from your sin? With kindness. With kindness. You're like, well, nothing good has ever happened in my life. Really? Nothing good? Nothing good has ever happened in your life. I'm not saying there haven't been difficult things, but some of you only look at the difficult things. And aren't we all that way? I mean, we remember like the five worst moments of our parents from our childhood. But we don't remember, you know, the other 10,000 days we survived, they fed us, they clothed us. Isn't it a miracle, parents, that any children survive? That's why God makes them cute. So you're just not like, done. They're so cute because they're problems. They're problems. You know, two-year-olds are fun for about five minutes. Five minutes. 
and then they lose their minds. James 1.17, whatever is good, whatever is a perfect gift is coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Isn't that, right? Isn't that crazy? Everything, anything that's ever happened to you in your life that is good comes from Jesus. Okay, sorry. Um, this is, you know, where there's some religious claptrap overload. And I just got just to say it. Um, look, you don't need a God to have good things happen in your life. I didn't need a God to find good friends. I am socially a hermit. <laughs> I'm very introverted. A good day for me is a day where I spend in my office by myself, usually with the lights out. Uh, I, I mean, I love my wife and I can't even spend, uh, you know, all my time with her. I got to get away. <laughs> even the people that I like, I don't want to be around a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I have to force myself to have, have times during the day when I am in public, you know, I, I fight this all the time. And yet, despite that, I have found a way to surround myself with good friends who are not intimidated by me and, um, and who love me for God only knows what reason and, uh, who, you know, they, they, uh, they take care of me they speak truth to power to what, to whatever power I have. And, um, uh, you know, they're, they're true humans for me. Uh, that happened for me. Did God do that for me? Of course not. You're, you're misattributing the credit. I give the credit to the people who deserve that credit. And when good things happen in your life and you say, thank God, inevitably you are misattributing the credit. And, and you should just take a beat before you thank God and think about the chain of humans that made that thing happen in your life. We don't need a God for good things to happen in our lives. We are social creatures. And despite the social hell that happens all around us and to us, there are also social goods that happen to us. And I agree that we need to take a moment and recognize those. But the difference is Christians take all of those things and misattribute those things to God. And they say nothing good can happen without God. And we secularists uh, say, look, everything good that happens to us is either through uh, nature simply working itself out or through other humans who are, uh, who are doing thankworthy things uh, that help us. And so I, I, you know, I talked about this around Thanksgiving and I'll probably do it again around this Thanksgiving. Uh, one of my biggest problems with Thanksgiving and the, the way that Christians view it in the way that seculars view it is that Christians misattribute all good things to God. And I encourage, uh, secularists and Christians to dig a little bit deeper and figure out where your good comes from and attribute that good to the place where it comes from. And then thank, you know, if there's a person or a group to thank, thank them. The reason so many of you are not happy 
it's because you only focus on what you don't have rather than focusing on what you do. You're on Instagram. Look at their family photo. They went to the beach. They went to Cabo. I'm stuck in Riverside, SoCal. You're all bitter and you're all angry. You're not looking at, at what you do have. It's one of the things that Tammy and I have tried to do this year is we've tried to talk about all the good things that have happened to us. Let me tell you something, 2020 was rough, but there were some really good things that happened in 2020. Some really, really great things. I mean, I spent all of 2020 trying not to get COVID. I got it anyways. But you know what? God was with me even through that while people in our church were dying. I was texting people who were losing family members to COVID while I had it. Do you know how weird that is? And here's what I found out. God, God is with me. Even okay, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> this, kind of, this kind of thing just makes me really mad. I had COVID and God, no, I'm not saying I had COVID. Me, David Johnson, I've not had COVID. And I've had a ton of tests. So you know, all the things that are wrong with me, uh, keep your fingers crossed, but uh, not on wood, COVID has not been one of them. But when, it, when I hear a Christian you know, talking about COVID in particular, because that's the, the black plague of our time, and they say things like what Pastor Matt just said, yeah, I had COVID and God was with me while people in the church were dying. And I'm thinking, my, my goodness, didn't God love you so much? Weren't you so special? Or, or was it that God loved you, but he didn't love those other people? Or was it, you know, with God's infinite great plan, he didn't need those other people around, but he needed you. Oh, Christians, really just rethink this kind of junk before it comes out of your mouth. Even in horrific, awful pain. It's the sickest I've ever been, ever. It was awful, but God was with me. He was with me. And some of you, all you're focusing on and what's going wrong, maybe God is allowing all of these things to go wrong with your life so that you'll finally look at him. I got to meet with a person this week who's given their life to Christ because of our online ministry. And like many of you, you don't attend a physical campus at Sandals Church, but you watch online. This guy was fired from his job. There were some accusations made against him. He lost the love of his life and his current relationship. He almost lost his freedom and went to prison because of these accusations. He lost everything, his income, his relationship. He, he, he thought he lost it all. And he was sitting in a guard shack at 2 a.m. in the morning and he's listening to the ministry of Sandals Church. And he said, these words spoke right to him. Sometimes God has to wreck your life to save your soul. What if all the pain and suffering that you're going through right now is just so God can bless you, not just now, but for eternity? Fuck that God. And some of you are so mad at what's going wrong in your life, you're not ever going to find out and discover what God wants to do right in your life. He wants to bless you. Because the most powerful being in the world, the only way that he can give you the blessings that he wants you to have is to wreck your life. He wants to do amazing things for you, right? One of the verses that I prayed over and over again while I was so sick was Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Really? Plans for COVID? Plans to not be able to breathe? Plans to lay on my chest for 10 hours every single day? Plans to not be able to get up and go to the bathroom without feeling like I can't breathe and I'm gonna pass out? That's your plan for me, God? You see, so many of us were focused on right here, right now in all this pain and we're overwhelmed with it and as I began to read those words out loud, I know the plans you have for me, have for me, says the Lord. Plans to prosper me, plans to give me a future and a hope. 
tears would go down my face because it was so hard for me to believe it in that moment. And such bullshit for all the people who didn't survive. Don't believe the moment. Believe God. Believe God. Next, here's how I survive a cancel culture. And this is, man, this is gonna be so good for some of you. For me too. Number three, I build my faith by working on my stubbornness rather than the stupidity of others. Man, here, let me just summarize outrage 2021. What's that idiot doing? What's that knucklehead doing? What's that person doing? God says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Romans chapter one, let me summarize for you. They, them, they, 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 them, them, them. Romans two, you, you. You need to take a look at yourself. Romans two, five through six. Why don't we change? Why don't we grow? Why aren't we motivated by the graciousness and goodness of God? Romans 2, 5, and 6, but because you are stubborn, circle that word, stubborn, and you refuse to turn from your sin. Some of you are so stubborn, so stubborn. My grandmother's Dutch, and my dad told me he heard a pastor say one time, he pastored a Dutch congregation, and he said when he buries the Dutch men in church, he only has to bury them from the neck down because their heads are as hard as stone, right? And it just, just leave them there. It'll be there forever. They don't change, right? And all of us, man, we all have our particular ethnicities, right? We, we, all, we all have the groups that we identify with. And you know about the stubbornness in your group, the stubbornness in your family, the stubbornness in you. We won't change. We won't change. We're gonna stay right here and judge everybody else and look at everybody else. And that word stubbornness in the Greek is skelorosis, skelorosis. It's really hard to say, S-K-L-O-R-O. I-O-U-S. It's the word we use to describe heart disease. So if you have heart disease, you have this sclerosis in your arteries and it will kill you because it destroys your heart. It hardens the arteries in your heart. Isn't that amazing? Paul says what can kill your heart can kill your soul. It can kill your soul. If you have a heart attack and die, you're just dead now. If you don't repent and turn your life over to God and give your life to Jesus Christ, you're dead forever dead. The book of Revelation says that the worst death is the second death. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Christian claptrap alert. Here's the thing. Uh, when you're dead, you're actually dead. Okay. There's no dead now and alive later and maybe dead later. There's, uh, I understand that Christians believe this. I understand that part of their fantasy is that, well, you know, dead doesn't mean dead. It's kind of a denial of death quote. So you're, you're, you're dead here, but you get to be alive again somewhere else and uh, you don't have to die again. So don't fear death. Uh, look, dead's dead. We can talk about it in the comments. That's fine. Um, yeah. So uh, please release this fear, which can also be psychologically damaging of your second death. Th this, this, Fear, for some people, death is the greatest fear that they have. And I think it's something that humans are going to have to get over if we're going to get better. Now, you know, I don't want humans to be so careless that they kill themselves over stupid things. But as, as afraid of, as we are of death, we still die of all kinds of stupid things. But if... if the fear of death is what's driving you into the arms of religion. You know, this is, this is the kind of thing that just makes me a little bit mad. So, you know, he's talking about 
the death you suffer here on earth, and then this somehow worse death that happens if you're not religiously right with my imaginary God. The second death. We're all going to die once. But if you're a Christian, you don't die twice. Listen to what he says. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. Terrible punishment. Why? Because you're a hypocrite and you judge others for what you yourself do. What you yourself do. What have we found out over COVID, right? All these politicians that's telling us to wear masks, they don't wear masks. Telling us not to go to parties, they don't go to parties. Telling us not to go to restaurants, they go to restaurants. Hypocrites, listen to me. God will deal with them. God will deal with them. You know, in California, we got this big momentum. Recall, there's a recall. You're gonna be recalled one day straight to the throne of God. And God's gonna judge you for what you did. And not in the public court of opinion, but according to the opinions of Jesus Christ. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming. A day of anger is coming. We talk a lot as young people about the existential threat. Like existential threat, you know, global warming or this or that, everything's an existential. Existential threat means it's unavoidable and it leads to extinction. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the, both the body and the soul. That's an existential threat. Don't send me an email. I'm not saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't worry about global warming. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to worry about yourself. I wish some of you were as concerned about your soul as you are Mother Earth. Because you know what Mother Earth longs for? The day when God returns and he starts it again. The earth is waiting to be recycled by Jesus. Okay, this, I, I find this particular bit of Christian claptrap to be dangerous as well. And it mirrors a way that I used to think about environmental issues and things like that. You know, the humans, humans can't destroy the planet. God is going to be the one who destroys the planet. So the planet is here for humans. Humans can do whatever they want to do. Don't worry about it. And this, this idea that uh, Pastor Matt is presenting kind of reminds me of the way that I used to think you don't have to worry about recycling the planet and you know all this liberal tree hugging nonsense because the planet itself is waiting to be recycled by god you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming a day of reckoning when cuts righteous judgment will be revealed right whoa so many of us we're going to regret our choices on earth because we have to live out the consequences forever. Have you ever made a bad choice in your life that forever altered your life? Like you, you recovered, but you could never go back. You've been forgiven, God's, God's given you grace, but it's forever altered your life. You see, there are some things and decisions that we make that we can't ever outrun the consequences. And let me tell you something on judgment day, you can't outrun the consequence of your choice to live for yourself and to reject God's gracious gift through Jesus. He will judge everyone according to what he's done. So everybody who's so worried about all this unrighteousness, all this mistreatment throughout all of humanity, and it's been everywhere at all time, all over the place, we have to know that God is going to make it right. But here's the difference between God and you and God and me. God has his own moral code. God knows what's right and what's wrong. And here's what's so dangerous about today. And here's why there's a new cancel culture because people are deciding what's right and what's wrong for themselves.
Okay, I just want you to wake up and listen to this part. Uh, I think this is key to his message and key to the uh, place where Christians and non-Christians tend to disagree. He's going to talk about a quote from Tim Cook, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I just wanted to alert you. Wake up. Many of you right now are watching on an Apple device. You're watching on an Apple computer. Maybe some of you have an Apple TV. Let me just quote for you Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. I want you to listen to his language. I don't know whether he's religious. I, I don't know if he considers himself a Christian, but I just want you to hear his language as he speaks as the CEO of a business, right? He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a leader of a religious movement. I want you to listen to his words very carefully. Here's why I'm so concerned about where our culture is headed. Because we've denied God. We've exchanged the one true God for our own God. We've denied his laws, his rules, his morality. And listen to me, we've created our own. Listen to Tim Cook. He says, I believe the most sacred thing that each of us is given is our judgment. Isn't that interesting? When I was a kid, non-religious people said, don't judge. Who are you to judge? Now non-religious people say, no, no, judgment is sacred. It wasn't sacred, right, when it was Judeo-Christian, but now it's sacred when it's something else. He says, our morality, our own innate desire to separate right from wrong. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you have an innate desire to go the wrong way, your own way, to run from God. Tim Cook says that we, that he says, choosing to set that responsibility aside at this moment of trial is a sin. It's a sin. I want you to think about these three words that he just said, as a CEO of a big tech corporation. Okay, before we re reiterate those three words, I uh, sorry about coughing through that. If you didn't hear me coughing, maybe I edited, <laughs> edited it out, but uh, I don't plan to do any editing here, so you probably heard me coughing. Um, I think this, this quote from Tim Cook is one of those sharp dividing lines. And it is one of those things that I very much agree with as a skeptic. And as a Christian would have very much disagreed with. And so I want you to think about um, what Pastor Matt is saying here, no matter which side of the aisle you fall on. So when Tim Cook says that uh, the most sacred duty we have is to, to apply judgment, I absolutely agree with that. Now, the Christian, their problem, their problem, their, their difference, their problem with this idea is that it's God's judgment that matters. And what they are doing is not applying their own judgment, but they are upholding God's judgment. Well, there is no God. And so Christians, you are really upholding your own judgment. Okay. You are applying judgment, whether you know it or not, but you are obfuscating that by saying, well, that's, that's God's judgment. And if you really, if you're really being accurate, that you're not presenting your judgment but God's judgment, then what you're really saying is you're defending someone else's judgment, someone else's idea of what God's judgment is. And you really have checked out of the system and you have become useless to the system. 
And what Tim Cook is saying is we cannot afford to check out of the system. There are things that are happening in our society that would require us to do the hard work of applying human judgment to human problems. We can't check out of the system. We can't leave it to someone else's judgment. And the Christian says is the only way we can do it is to leave it to someone else's judgment. This is a huge, a major difference. And when Tim Cook talks about applying morality, he's talking about exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the subject of morality, which is the very work of morality has to be done by the individual. No one else can do the work of morality for you. Morality is by its nature an individual endeavor. You have to look at a situation and you have to apply judgment to decide whether you believe that thing is right or wrong. And if all you do is look at a situation and look at an almanac or a book or or listen to a, a sermon and an opinion of someone else and you say, okay, it's wrong because they said it's wrong, you have deferred the work of morality to someone else. Someone else did the work of morality and they cast a judgment and you just picked up their judgment. You didn't do morality at all. Christians often are guilty of deferring the work of morality. They don't do the work of morality. And a skeptic has to do the work of morality. When we talk about things like abortion, we have to think about the issues deeply. And we can't just look at a book or an almanac and say, well, okay, that's what those people said. And so that's what it must be. We've got to work it out for ourselves every time, daily. And we do it often. You know, the work that we did 10 years ago to make a decision on things like sexuality, we had to do that work again and again and again because things change and new information comes out and we have to constantly do the hard work of morality and judgment. And Christians want to do the easy thing of deferring that and just saying, well, God, God figured it all out. And so I don't have to well, then you are useless in a society where hard things have to be decided and judged. Sacred, morality, and sin. Those used to be the things the church talked about. Now it's something that big tech is talking about. And some of you are not concerned at all. I'm concerned that one day you won't be able to watch me online the way these things are going because of the convictions that I have about the word of God. Every time I post something on Instagram, every time I I use Twitter, I'm, I'm conscious of what I say because I realize Big Brother is watching. I realize that. And those of you who use Instagram, use social media, you know that when you insert the word God, Jesus, repent, you know that automatically the algorithms push your, your, your content down. You know that. A computer program is self-selecting and pushing things down that they feel are divisive. Listen to me. Jesus Christ said that he came to divide. He came to divide. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Matt. Um, when I say this kind of thing, Christians jump on me and say, no, you don't understand Jesus. (laughs) Christians say this kind of thing all the time when they want to make this point. 
Jesus didn't come to unite. He came to divide. Okay, he said to himself, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a, a sword. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, Pastor Matt, for pointing this out. Husband and wives, sons from their fathers. Because we have to make a decision. Are we on God's team or are we on that team? He didn't say you need to decide Democrat or Republican. They're both screwed up. He said, you got to decide about me. You got to decide about me. Isaiah 48, four says this, for I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Do you know what he's talking about? His own people, his own people, the Jewish people. For I know how stubborn you are and obstinate you are. Some of the translations say stiff neck. You ever had a stiff neck? You're like, ah, ah. Like you can't turn. Do you know what repentance is? Turning, turning, right? Your necks are as unbending as iron. That's some of you, you won't turn. You won't turn, you won't change. No matter what God does in your life, no matter what God throws at you. He says, your heads are as hard as bronze. Some of you have even surpassed that. Your heads are harder than bronze. Proverbs 28, 14, blessed are those who fear to do wrong, but the stubborn headed are headed for serious trouble. I got good news for you. Man, if you've made a stupid decision, you can recover, amen? How many, raise your hand if you made a stupid decision. I, I have. I'll probably make one later today. Here's the good news about stupid decisions. You can make those right. You know what you can't make right? Stubbornness. You know the marriages I can't help? It's not the ones where somebody's done something stupid, someone said something stupid. It's the ones who are stubborn and they won't listen and they, don't, they won't change and they would rather get divorced than get right. Stubbornness. Not me. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need anybody or anyone, including God. Let me tell you something. Not only do you need God, but you need a lot of people. You need people around you. You cannot do it alone. And if you are doing it alone, you're not, you're not coming anywhere close to what God's called you to do. You can't be alone. So many of you have reached out to me, you know, as I've preached these sermons. And, you know, and people just, I just don't know how you're doing it, Pastor, and I'm sure you're getting a bunch of hate mail. I am. I am. I've been called things I had to look up. Like, you know, I was like, that, that's, that's a great put down. We're like, wait, hold on, I got to Google that, you know, because I don't even know what that is. But I've gotten just tons and tons and, and tons of email from you guys. And people say, how do you do it, Pastor? How do you do it? And here's the answer. I serve a really big God. And he's given me a lot of strength. And he's given me a lot of courage to stand. But not only do I serve a big God, but God's given me a big church. And I have a big community. And here's the beauty of being a part of Sandals Church. We can take a big punch. We can take a big punch and we don't have to throw one back. We just have to lovingly state, this is what we believe. This is how God's called us. And here's why we don't judge others because we know that we've received grace and God has chosen not to judge us through Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't call a spade a spade. It doesn't mean we don't call right, right and wrong, wrong. It means that we, when we do it, we're actually trying to win somebody rather than condemn somebody. I mean, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The world doesn't know how to forgive and the world doesn't know how to give grace. Our culture's lost that. Do you know why? We've lost Jesus. We've lost Jesus. We don't know how to change and we don't know how to let others change. Isn't that amazing? We're so stubborn that not only will we not change, but we won't let someone else change. We're gonna lock them in forever. 
into that one mistake, into that one decision because we've lost Jesus. Stop focusing on the stupidity of others and start looking at your own stubbornness. God, where am I not listening? Where am I not changing? Where am I locked in? Where am I prideful? Where have I said, nope, God, you don't go here. You don't go here. And you want me to preach the word of God to others, but when the word of God comes for you, you're like, whoa, we gotta find a new church. We gotta find a new church. I build my faith by focusing on eternal life and what's at stake. What's at stake? What happens? We just came out of an election, right? Every election, this is the most important election of all time. Here's what's at stake. It cracks me up that these politicians left and right don't know what to do when people freak out and riot. Burn, burn, you know, cities down, march on the Capitol. Like when you, when you talk about America is coming to end, this is an existential threat to our country and democracy. What do you think people are supposed to do? What do you think is wrong? Whoa, wait a minute. You know, if we're, if we're worshiping together, you know, after COVID, now y'all fire, fire, fire. And then you all run out and trample each other. I'm like, I don't know what everybody's problem is. Well, I just use language that inspired people to do something. It happens on both sides. Because what they're talking about is, is there's a threat to democracy. There's a threat to America. There's a th- Let me tell you something. Here's what the Bible says. There's a threat to your soul. There's a threat to your eternal destiny. And here's what's scary. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. We talked about this during our election series. Every four years, we elect a president. You may have one time and one opportunity to elect Jesus as your savior, and that might be today. And you don't know. You don't know. Here's what I've learned. My poor son, he's 18 years old, and he's experienced more death at 18 than I did at 30. He's had friends die, family members die, you know, uh, an adoptive grandpa die. He's lost a lot. And I was talking to him just, just yesterday about the brevity of life, about how quick it was. And then my wife and I, we went on a date night with some friends from our church and our friends made a left-hand turn. We, we were in their car. He made a left-hand turn at a green light without a turn signal. And just as he did that, somebody got impatient with the person who slowed down to let us go by, and he punched it. And there was a moment there. There was a moment there. I pray for my wife, Tammy. She's still trying to get rid of that moment where this car is coming at us about 60 miles an hour, ready to T-bone us. And we all see it. You see, it's one thing to tell somebody life is brief. It's another thing to look down the barrel of death and go, oh. Now, gratefully, the guy that was driving the car handled the situation and punched it, and we, we, we nearly avoided a cataclysmic collision. But a lot of you think, well, I'll get my life right with God tomorrow. No one's promised tomorrow. No one's promised tomorrow. A couple of weeks ago, these words came out of my mouth. You don't know where you'll be tomorrow. You don't know what will happen tonight. I went home after I preached that sermon and shook all night with COVID. I didn't know it was coming. The Lord did. The Lord's like, this is a good point, Matt. Let's, let's talk about this later in about five hours. Your God is such a jerk. I didn't even know it was going to happen in five hours. Romans 2, 7 through 11 says this. He will give eternal life to those who keep doing good. Here's my concern, that you cancel yourself out of eternity. You cancel yourself. Seeking after glory and honor and the immortality that God offers. Do you understand that? God is offering you glory. 
God is offering you honor and God is offering you immortality to live forever with him. Hey, uh, can I just say that uh, it's a little, little bit off topic, but um, this idea of the rewards uh, that God offers to his people, you know, he offers glory and honor and eternal lives and, and robes of purple, you know, purple being the royal color and a crown and, you know, maybe, maybe some angelic servants in a, a mansion, you know, all of these, you know, riches, the, the very streets are made with the gold. You know, God offers uh, these types of rewards. However, the entire Christian mantra is that we shouldn't want those things. And so the Christian mind has to be bifurcated. You know, there is the me here on earth and there's the eternal me. And the me here on earth is humble and meek and we're not seeking glory and we're not seeking a crown and riches and mansion. These, I have, I eschew those things. I don't need those riches and wealth and recognition. And yet another part of their mind at the same time is longing for these riches and the glory and the recognition and the purple robe and so forth. Dang. Some of you are freaked out by the concept of eternity. One of the things I've been doing is I've been, I've been looking into just what physicists are discovering. You see, when I was in school, they told us that everything was material and that everything had a beginning and they called it the Big Bang. Here's what physicists and astrophysicists are now discovering, that there's something beneath the material, something that exists, listen to me, people, outside of time. They first began to discover this when they broke down your DNA, my DNA. Do you know what they discovered when they looked at the DNA of human beings? They found coding that looks very similar to the way that we program computers. And the DNA in your body has been instructed by something what to do. It doesn't self-decide. It's been programmed. And so many physicists... So many people, as they look out into the vast expanse of space, what they're finding, what they're theorizing, is there something beyond what we can see? Listen to this, and it just is. And they don't know what it is. Too bad they didn't listen to Moses, who met what it is thousands of years ago. Who okay, uh, just a word of advice. Please do not get your biology from religionists. Who should you say sent me? Lord, I am. I am. Aristotle called him the unmoved mover. The Gospel of John called him the Logos. The Logos. In English, we translated the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What was the word? The word was with God and the word was God. The Lord is inviting you into eternal life with him. And this material life is a life where we choose, where we spend eternity. So God is offering you glory and honor. Here's what breaks my heart. 87% of the teenagers, the young people in our church who are watching this, and thank God you're watching this. You're, you're well beyond your friends. 87% of you, when they're surveyed, what do they want to be when they grow up? It's no longer doctor, lawyer, soldier, policeman, fireman, firewoman, fireperson, whatever, you know, what, what, whatever it is you want to be. 87% of young people today say this. 
They want to be an influencer. They want glory. They want honor. They want to shine. The very things Jesus offers forever. When you post online, you might get a little glory. You might get a little honor for one click. Jesus offers it forever. He likes you forever. Forever. Isn't that amazing that our kids are more seen than you and I were? Like when I was a teenager, I knew like eight people. Some of our teenagers have millions of followers. Isn't that crazy? But it doesn't matter who follows you. Listen to me, young people. It matters who you're following. And here's why. Because he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Well, I'm just trying to be me. God says, no, 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 no. You need to be like my son. Actually, you you need to be like you. Okay, it's not one of those places where religion kind of intrudes. You don't need to be like Jesus. Let's let, let's uh, just assume Jesus is a real person who taught uh, good things. Listen to red letters. You <clears throat> actually know how I feel about that. But let's just assume that for a moment. That doesn't mean that you should be like Jesus. I don't think you should be like Jesus anymore than you should be like Gandhi or you should be like Martin Luther King or that you should be like Abraham Lincoln. You shouldn't be like any of those people. You should take the good, discard the bad, uh, and make the best version of yourself that you can make. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with being you. The religionist says, no, there is something wrong with being you. You shouldn't be you. You should be Jesus. No, you should be you. Don't don't let anyone tell you that there's something wrong with you, there isn't. For those who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. You see, Tim Cook of CEO thinks he knows what wickedness is. The scripture says only God knows what wickedness is. It says there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. Here's what God's word says. Look, evil won't just screw you up for eternity. It'll screw you up now. Right now, if you don't listen to God, if you choose to go your own way and you say the Bible's old fashioned, it's out of date, and I'm just gonna have sex with whoever I want to, you're going to create destruction, not only for eternal life, but your own life. It never works. What Hollywood says never works. What God says always works. There'll be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. So many of us, right? We, we, we can't wait for Disneyland to open. And one of, my, one of my, my favorite Disneyland stories as a kid was Pinocchio. Here's the problem with Walt, good old Walt, Grandpa Walt. You know what he did is he took old stories and he softened them and he made them more palatable so they would become children tales. Pinocchio was never written for children. It was written for parents. The real Pinocchio, when he lies, one of two things happen. When it's an obvious lie, his nose grows. When it's a less obvious lie, his, his legs shrink. You know why that is? You can't ever outrun the truth. Oh, remember the cute cricket? Jiminy the cricket? You know what he does in the book? He smashes him with a hammer and he kills it. And he goes his own way. That's what happens. That's what happens. And do you know why ultimately in the story, Pinocchio is turned into a real boy? Not because he repents, not because he ever gets it right. Here's the story, because of the love of the father. That's why. Your only chance of changing is the love of God, your father who's in heaven. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, why? You knew better. If you were raised in church, you knew better. And then for the Gentile, those of us who didn't know better, but you're learning, you're growing, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good.
for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. God loves all the peoples. Why? Because God does not show favoritism. Man, if you wanted to make our country right, if you could just take out favoritism, our, this place would be a better place. Our politicians play favorites. Wealthy pay, play favorites. You and I play favorites. God doesn't because he's morally superior to us in every way. Take this chance today. Stop being a hypocrite. Stop blaming others for what you do yourself and get your life right with God today. Let's pray together. Okay, and I'm not going to take any time for us to pray together. If you are the praying kind, you can pray individually. Uh, speaking of prayers, uh, thank you all for your kind prayers. I have a number of Christians who have uh, told me privately that they are praying for me. Look, you do not have to tell me that you're praying for me. If you're a Christian and you're someone that I consider uh, a friend or choose to have as an acquaintance, I know you're praying for me, okay? I get it. And I have said in the public, look, uh, when, when bad things happen to me, uh, please don't pray for me because I don't like the God that you're praying to. It's that um, scene from Star Trek, uh, one of the earlier seasons, and um, Commander Riker gets the power of the Borg, and uh, he starts giving gifts to his friends. And one of the gifts he gives is he gives Jordy his his sight. And uh, Jordy says, yeah, I don't, I don't want it. Uh, make me back the way I was. And Riker's like, well, why? why? Why wouldn't you want it? And Jordy says, I don't like the person I'd have to thank. <laughs> that stuck with me. Also, I've seen it about 50, 11 times. So, um, yeah, so I've, I've uh, made statements like that too. You know, if, <clears throat> if, you're, if it turns out that the God that you have expressed, that you believe it is real, uh, please do not appeal to him on my behalf. Uh, if he does give me something good instead of poison, a fish instead of a rock, I don't think I'd like the person I'd have to thank because, you know, the next person will just get COVID. So I don't, I, I don't really want to be a part of that cycle. That said, I don't believe in your God. I do believe in you as a human being, as a true human who is doing the best thing that you know how to do as a true human. And one of the ways that you express that is to pray for me. And so I don't want you to ever think that I do not appreciate uh, your efforts that you make in prayer. So thank you uh, very much for that. I did have a few comments to make on this subject of cancel culture, and I think I will omit most of them because my wife is desperately trying to uh, get my attention and feed me pancakes. Don't judge. Um, did I mention she's a really good cook? <laughs> so um, the uh, the idea of cancel culture. Right. So we we know this term largely because of Christians and political conservatives. And in America, those two tend to be the same thing, fundies, 
if you will. Liberal Christians, not so much. They don't, they don't tend to use that term, but uh, fundies do. They are mad as hell about being canceled from the culture. Just listen to any of them talk about it. None of them, for instance, says, I am so blessed and happy that I am hated by the culture and that I am excluded and spurned. And yet the beatitude, I said I wouldn't go over this, but I, just this one little bit from uh, from the red letter side. Uh, the beatitude, check out Luke's version of the beatitudes, where it, it says, blessed are they who uh, blessed are, are, are those of you who are hated, and yet cancel culture Christians hate being hated. They're not happy that they're hated. Blessed uh, just means happy. Happy are you in the, in this case? You know you should be happy about this condition. In other words, you shouldn't think of this as a bad thing. Jesus says, "Blessed are you who are hated," and yet the Christians say. Cursed is it to be hated. They hate it. And then Jesus, you know, continues that blessed, blessed are you when you are excluded. The whole idea of cancel culture is that you have been excluded. You have been excluded from something that you think that you have a right to be in. You have a right it to the conversation. You have a right to social media. You have a right to an audience. You have a right for your opinion to be heard. And yet, when these Christians, for the first time in a long time, have found themselves excluded in America, they got mad as hell. Not a single one of them thought or said, oh, this is, this is the state of blessing that Jesus wanted for me. No, they hate being hated and excluded and spurned. And in so, in, in, in such, they utterly repudiate the beatitudes that they foist on others. What a crock. Screw those guys. All right. Um, look, I really didn't think that I was going to do a show today for reasons, but uh, I love doing the show. It's, it's kind of therapy for me, so here it is. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Will there be a show next week? I'm just going to say probably not. But then again, I didn't think there was going to be a show this week either. Uh, will there be a red letters? Yes. Yes. I will. I will crawl through nails to make sure that uh, I get a red letters up uh, every week. And I, uh, I've said before, uh, 4S might have to become a biweekly thing while I'm going through recovery. It's going to be a long, hard recovery. There'll be some weeks where the show just doesn't show up. Uh, so I'm not going to promise a next show, but I promise that I always want to do a next show. So thanks for keeping me in your subscribe list, uh, on your podcast, uh, uh, player of choice, and we will see you the next time. Bye-bye.